we're going through a series. Uh, my name is Angela Kimaru, and we're going through a series that's called um, No Offense. Um, and I'm excited about this series. We started last week, and this is the second installment. So it's based of a, of a book by John uh, Bevere, I keep forgetting his name, and it's called Bait of Satan. The book is available on Amazon, but if you want a physical copy, can I just say that? You need to see Jackie Mafaga. Pastor Jackie, please stand up. If you want a physical copy, you'll need to see her. How much did you say the book cost to get a physical copy? 3200 She'll organize for it to come. She will, and it will be here in two weeks' time if you see her today. Uh, it's obviously cheap on Amazon, but some of us like to smell the nini, touch it, you know, I don't know. So if, that's, if that is you, praise the Lord. Uh, please make sure you see Jackie and she'll make sure the book gets to you. I promise you this book will change your life. We learned about the dangers of offense last Sunday, uh, and we found out that offense is a trap that the enemy uses to keep many from their destiny. So as, as we all know, offense has many different levels. It can be caused by when, you know, somebody fails, uh, fails us, or with, it starts mostly with minor irritations. Um, so when, when I got married, um, my, my, when I got married, my husband, so we got married in December. I think we almost had the whole month on honeymoon, so I never noticed certain things. So on the first night home, which was like almost January, um, we were privileged. We just kept going holiday on holiday. So even if we were home, it was like we just changed clothes because family from different parts of the world was around, so we just kept bouncing to go different places. So we get home, and we're sleeping, and it's in the morning, and the dude wakes up, you know, very early. So he woke up at five, but I kid you not, you guys, he wakes up like the undertaker. True story. So he just, like, opens his eyes and just jumps, like, sits up and jumps out the bed. True story. I'm not lying. And I was so, I, I didn't even know if I told my hubby, I'll tell this story. So I get up. <clears throat> so the first day he does this, I sleep lightly. So in my mind, I hear everything. I'm like, there must be a thief. And he's getting up to attack the person. And you know that in the movies, you cannot be separated because that's how somebody dies. So do you think I'm going to be left in the bed? No way. So the guy gets up. He opens the door. I jump out the bed. I'm halfway through. I'm running after him. The guy's like, chick, what's going on? I'm like, shh. I'm like, what's happening? And the guy's like, I'm just waking up. I can see I was upset. The warfare that did not fall. I'm like, how do you wake up? Like, like, who does that? Like, get out the bed, roll like you're, you're fighting in the general's army. Do not, you know, wake up, tiptoe out of the room. The brother puts on all the lights just to test them. He opens every door. I don't know why. Checks every room. Opens every drawer. See, we fought that first month. I used to get so irritated. Ask me now if I hear him. Nothing. I don't hear a thing. The guy can have gotten up, put on the lights. I feel nothing, <coughs> especially after the children. But on his side, um, my husband uh, felt that I was not taught how to systematically remove toothpaste. Apparently, there's a strategy where you begin from the bottom going up. And it became a source of warfare in our home. Do people feel me? <coughs> me, I feel nothing. So you want toothpaste, squeeze it from wherever. See, he used to get upset. So uh, he gave me a PowerPoint presentation, and I'm just joking. But he gave me a talk on how to properly use toothpaste. But I praise God for the plastic ones. Now they just bounce back, so he doesn't really know. 
until the last last days, then I have to go with the rules. Uh, and because I want to please him, I abide. Amen? You know, guys, um, I'm talking about this like a joke, but we find ourselves getting irritated uh, by things done to those close to us. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your siblings who's playing loud music in the other room, your roommate who's always late with rent, a friend who's always borrowing things and never giving them back. There are sometimes things that irritate us that if not dealt with can blow over and become a major issue. Am I correct? So I also had to have a conversation with myself and say, it's not the end of the world. Uh, even him here to accept we will not buy two toothpaste. Me, I refuse that story. We learn how to deal with each other. Or even um, I, I learn to accommodate him, you know, when he wakes up. But if not dealt with, sometimes this thing can become a major, major issue. So we're talking about minor issues right now. But if, if uh, major things that were done to us by people who have neglected us or who have betrayed us or who have done something to us through malice, um, even especially when we know they know better, it causes us to get deeply hurt uh, in this issue. We find that pains of the past end up giving us uh, bitterness towards the people who hurt us, and then we are not able to move forward into the thing that we desire to be. Some, sometimes we have maybe even moved on, we, we've succeeded in life, but whenever we meet that person, we're not able to talk to them, we're not able to have a conversation, we feel nothing for them. Uh, and that is offense sometimes that we've carried over time. But fortunately for us, the Bible has an example of a person who had every reason to be bitter, but by God's grace was able to turn that situation around. It's going to be from Genesis uh, 45, which is where we're going to pick up the story from. But let me give you some background. So we're talking about Joseph. The story is obviously about Joseph. So he was the 11th son of Jacob. He was the irritating younger brother of his brothers. Uh, when they misbehaved, the guy was always telling on them. His father, father favored him over his brothers. Uh, in fact, at one point, the irritation turned to hate. In Genesis 37, it says that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, it says they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. There are families that have also had drama. The last stroke came when Joseph now had a dream, and in his arrogance, he came and shared with his brothers, he's like, I had a dream, all y'all are going to bow to me. And he said it foolishly, he had this new robe that his father had given him. And it says the brothers just had it at that point. Uh, and the Bible tells us that they hated him all the more. And so one day when the brothers got an opportunity, they abducted him, they decided to sell him into slavery, they pretended that a wild animal had killed him, this is the report they gave to the father, and pretty much from that moment it meant that Joseph was going to become a slave for the rest of his life. Imagine Joseph listening to his brothers, because at first they captured him and threw him in a pit, then they were talking, yeah, let's kill him, how are we going to kill him, then they see those guys and they're like, yeah, let's just sell him. I'm like, that must have been so painful to hear that whole conversation. The brothers had done basically even the worst thing they could do beyond killing him, which was sell him to a life of slavery. So at this point, Joseph is 17 years old. He's been shipped off to Egypt, uh, becomes a slave to Potiphar. This is one of the king's officials. He's a slave for 10 years. Now, you need to understand he's probably at that point, the first few years, hoping that his brothers will confess, and then his father will come in and save the day. But year in, year out, no rescue. 
And so at that point, uh, God gives him favor. God still gives him favor with his uh, boss. He's running the household affairs. He's been promoted. But things get worse. Potiphar's wife has the hearts for Joseph. She throws herself at him. Joseph becomes, um, because of his love for God, I really love it. I'm always like, how do I disciple my children? So that by 17, when a mama throws themselves at him, they, they'll run away. I wonder. I always ask myself. So Joseph, because of his love for God, even if the mama threw himself, the, herself at him, he runs. Uh, the, she screams rape, and he gets thrown into prison. For the next three years, he's locked in a dungeon. So from 17 years to 30, he's first a slave, then he ends up a prisoner. The prime of his life, really. So I'm wondering, what would most of you be thinking if you were in that prison at that time? Just tell your neighbor what you'd be thinking. Mm -hmm. You've been abandoned. Bitter. You'd be bitter. Yeah. Anger. God, what do you think you're doing? My brothers have betrayed me. My father thinks I'm dead. I try to be faithful to you despite how faithful I am to you, despite how loyal I am. I'm even more loyal than that guy's wife. And this is how you reward me? Ten years of pain. I'm locked in a dungeon. Are you even for real, God? Or are you just a figment of my grandfather's imagination? I know many of us today have walked away from faith because of situations in our lives where we feel that God has abandoned us. I wonder if Joseph thought about his brothers and he was thinking it's all their fault. The best years of his life have been wasted because of them. If not for them, I'd have been wealthy. Because see, the father was wealthy in my father's home. I'd be the favored son. I wonder if he was daydreaming about the what-ifs. How many times do we fall into this kind of thinking? If it wasn't for my wife, I'd be a, mad, but a much better man today because she consistently criticizes me. If it wasn't for my father abandoning us, I would not have struggled so much in life. If it wasn't for that colleague of mine who gossiped about me, I'd still have my job. If it wasn't for that pastor, I'd still be in ministry today. But here's the thing that I want most of you to understand. And if you forget everything else, this is what I want you to remember. No human, no demon can ever get you out of the will of God. Let me say it again. No human, no demon can get you out of the will of God. Only God holds your destiny. Like you have to believe it. <clears throat> Many times we behave as if God is surprised when bad things happen to us. It's like he's in heaven saying, ah, did you see? Did you see? Jade, ah, you know what are we going to do, Holy Spirit? How do we assist Jade? We need a plan B. Oh my gosh, who's going to help us? Do you think that that's what God is doing? But many times it's how we behave. God, are you even seeing? Did you hear? Do you know? No human, no demon can get you out of the will of God. If you get this truth, your life will always be free. Joseph's brothers literally tried to take his life. It says in Genesis 37.20, they said, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. 
then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Has God given you a dream or vision that you feel has been silent or has been stuck in a position? They intended to destroy any chance of him ever being a leader. Joseph could have sat in prison full of offense and bitterness, plotting revenge against his brothers. If I ever get out of here, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill every single one of them. But you know what? So many people in the church do this today. We plot revenge, getting back, getting even with people. If we ever plot revenge, or if this guy would have plotted revenge, he would have been left in that dungeon. This is what I think to rot because he would have, and because of that, the 12 tribes of Israel would have died, including Judah, which is, which, that line is where Jesus' line comes from. But because he, he fought through his bitterness, Jesus' line was sustained. I think God would have still found another way. So he's in the dungeon. Dungeon. We don't really know how long he's been there. Maybe a month, a couple of weeks, uh, but I mean, or three weeks, because he's been there for a long time. And then uh, God brings this test at this point to Joseph, and there are these two prisoners. Um, so one is the king's PA, and another one is a pastry chef. So they are thrown into the same dungeon. They come to Joseph and they say, "We each had a dream last night." Now this was a great test to Joseph. Because uh, the greatest test is, can you still proclaim the faithfulness of God when you're at your lowest? For Joseph, the more he obeyed God, the worse life got. Are you guys, you guys feel that story? Like many Christians today, sometimes we keep obeying God and things get worse. Now, he could have turned to them and said, and this is what me would have said, you had a dream. Fine, let, let's leave it alone, my friends. Don't talk to me about dreams. Let me tell you, me, I had a dream. And look at where I am now. Look where it got me. I, me, that's where I'd have said. True story. But this man instead, he says, you know what? I know a God. This God is faithful. And he's an interpreter of dreams. And then he proceeded through the help of the Holy Spirit to give them a words of prophecy about what their dreams meant. Joseph knew this truth. No human, no demon can get you out of the will of God. Only God held his destiny. Of course, you know the story. The PA gets out because the other guy is killed. Uh, but the PA gets out, gets back into his position. And two years later, only after the king has a dream is when this man finally remembers, oh, yeah, yeah, Joseph, because of the dream. And so he calls Joseph. And then Joseph ends up being promoted to being the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation at that time. And so for the next seven years, this guy carries out economic policies that change uh, Egypt and make them even more powerful because they have a huge surplus. Uh, they collect huge surplus in the seven years, and so they are ready for the seven years of drought. And then two years into it, the brothers come for food. I need, um, it's been 21 years since this guy had this dream. 21 years since these guys wrecked his life. What does he do? Does he pay back these guys for this? He doesn't. Instead, he blesses them. He gives them their money back. He blesses them. I love this story. 
Genesis 45, 5 to 8 says, And now do not be distressed and do not, do not be angry with yourselves. This is what he says to his brothers. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. To save your lives by a great deliverance. He's talking about their benefit. I was sent here for your benefit. I was sent here to suffer through all this for your benefit, for this great deliverance that God is planning. It wasn't you guys who sent me here. It was God who sent me here. Now, many of us can say, if I was a psychologist, should say, is Joseph being delusional? Yeah, this is what the world will tell you. Are we being, yeah, is he in denial? Are we being enablers? Uh, is this codependence? But Joseph understands the truth, which many of us need to grasp for ourselves that no human, no demon can get you out of the will of God. Listen to this, except you. No one can get you out of the trap of offense except you. Only you can. Offense closes your eyes to the power of God to redeem you from even the worst situation of your life, and he can turn that around for good. Do you know that God can take everything that the enemy meant for evil in your life and turn it for good? Years later, when the whole family of Jacob settles and Jacob dies, the brothers are still panicking. Deep inside, they remember what they did to Joseph. They wonder, is he just buying time? Then he comes and attacks us and kills us. So they, they send a letter to him, and then Joseph replies to him, and he says, uh, don't be afraid. He tells them, am I in the place of God? You intended this for harm, but God intended it to, uh, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Listen to me. God knows that we live in an evil world where people make mistakes and sin. God knows that men and women will do things that he does not wish over any one of us. But what I love God's power in that he's able to use what they have done and turn that situation around so that it's still a blessing for us. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and turns it for our good. I imagine that it never crossed Joseph's mind that that's what God was doing in the middle of it. Until the end, he had to go through all that pain, all that betrayal, all that loneliness. But he still knew that God was capable. God was able to turn it around. God had given him a dream as a teenager, and he went through all that, went for prison because it was a dress rehearsal for the palace. Before this began, Joseph was an irresponsible teenager who bragged to his brothers arrogantly. He believed he was entitled because he had the best robe in the house. But the leadership that God desired for him was bigger. He didn't have the wisdom. I mean, he wasn't like Mary who pondered the story in her heart, yeah, and kept it when Gabriel came to her. And said, this guy went out flaunting it to everyone. He, he went through a refining process. No human, no demon can never get you out of the will of God. Only you can. This is what I want you to understand, guys. Healing takes time. 
It's a process. Joseph processed all this after the uh, being in prison, after everything had happened, he's been put as the, as the leader of the land. You can see him processing because when he's, he's given a wife, his, his name is changed, then he ends up having two kids, right? He, what's the name of the first son? Manasseh. Manasseh says, God, he, in, that, in that thing, it, it says it means God has, um, has made me forget all my hardship. It's basically what that name means. God has made me forget all my hardship. Um, and I love that because it means that he was processing what has happened. So he had been given a new name. He could have chosen to name his children some Egyptian names, but he still linked himself to the covenant of God. Are you guys hearing me? And I imagine Egyptians coming to him and asking him why. They said, why would you name your child, after, give them a Hebrew name, after those Hebrew people abandoned you? Do you know what he said? Because I let it go. He said, I let it go. Did they sell you into slavery? He said, yes, they did, but I let it go. They didn't come looking for you. They didn't come to find you. He says, you're absolutely right, but I let it go. God has made me forget. Joseph still chose to be identified with the covenant people of God. He still chose to see his life through the lens of God's covenant promises, not through the lens of past pain. He let it go. Listen, some of us need a Manasseh in this house. Some of us need a Manasseh. There are some of us who um, we've identified us, have identified ourselves with our past pain, but God is telling you, I need you to identify yourself through the covenant of Christ. He's saying, stop, stop looking at yourself through the damage and the pain that God, that life has given you. Because it's true, men are evil. People do horrible things, and it's not God's will for you. But you need to begin the journey and say, imagine, God, I'm, I'm willing to let it go. I'm willing. Manasseh, God, I'm willing. Yeah, you know, I have trust issues. Manasseh, I can let it go. You guys, you don't know my past. You don't know how wounded I've been. You don't know how I've been mistreated and abused in the past. I'm going to still tell you, Manasseh, let it go. Because the blood of Jesus is able to cover that pain. And just being in that place where you say, Father, I'm willing to let it go, begins your journey of healing. Because, guys, it was a journey. At that point, no brother had even come. He was still in Egypt. He was still alone. And then his second son comes and he, he, he names his second son Ephraim. And he says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God will bring you to that place. This is what I believe, where all of us can say, God will make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. The true story is, the earth is the land of our affliction. That's the truth. We sang it this morning. The earth is the land of our affliction because this is not our home. And as long as we are separate from God, not able to relate with him, we are still in the land of our affliction. But this is it. This is not our home. Amen? 
come to God and say, Father, help me let it go and help me say, Ephraim, in my life, that you have made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph, most likely in his mind, has thought he has healed, and then his brothers check him. Right? And then he sits there and looks at them. And he's probably wondering, you know, now you're processing. That's why I want you guys to understand. Healing won't come in a moment. There'll be pain. But you need to be in that space saying, I'm willing to start. Then the brothers come and he sees them. And his one thought is, is my mom alive? Is my dad alive? Is, is my brother alive? And so he does this whole investigation. I think he, he thinks about uh, hurting Simon. Then he holds back. This is my conviction. Uh, I think it was the real test. Then he treated him well. And then later on, he's able to bless them. I mean, he, he even blesses them more. They cannot believe it when he has this breakdown in front of them. It could have been easy for him to look at them and says, guys, who's the boss now? Who's laughing now? But no, the guy acts with humility before his brothers. He absolves them he, of blame and he sees the bigger picture. I want you to understand when that, what that moment was. In the book of Genesis, whenever you read the book of Genesis, you need to understand it in this perspective. I'm going to use one. I was going to do Bible school. I'm going to do one perspective. The, the book of Genesis is summarized in, with three key things. And the theme of Genesis is um, earth, seed, covenant. So God creates the earth. He creates the man, gives them this authority, and he, gives, he, he goes into covenant with man. Sin happened. Uh, then he does it, keeps doing it over and over again. He does it with Abraham. Um, he, his plan is to maintain the seed, which is why in the book of Genesis, there's this whole lineage of um, after Abel, who will take it? So you see Seth, then you see. So every generation, the idea is first to know who's the seed. So every child, it's, uh, it's Isaac. You guys flowing with me? Then who's, who, is Isaac's, who are Isaac's children? Sorry? Yeah, and Esau. But the seed went to who? Jacob. With Jacob, who does the seed go to? It doesn't. It's Judah. This whole story is not about Joseph. Get this. The story is about Judah. It's about the line of God, of Jesus, being preserved for the saving of many lives. So when his brothers come, the final conversation he has with them when he brings, he wants to keep Benjamin. Do you remember? And the brothers are like, our dad will die. Never, never. Guess who says, it's better. Take me. Guess who says? It's Judah. Judah says, take me. Release him. In my mind, what I feel is God gave him a vision. God showed him in this man's line, Jesus is going to come. And he's going to save the world. It's not about your story, Joseph. I know you've gone through pain. I know that people have hurt you. But I have a, such a huge plan to save people from death, from sin and pain. And you're a part of that story. So I know that it's dark. I know you've gone through a horrible thing. But it is for the saving of many lives. 
What I pray for you is God will open your eyes for all of you to have that moment where God shows you the bigger picture. Well, when you see your Judah, you understand that it becomes your testimony. You say you meant it for evil, but the Lord turned it for good. It was for the saving of many lives. And you know what? It's worth it. I know it's painful. And you know, guys, whenever I think about this, I think of like horrible, horrible things that have happened to people. Not me and my husband fighting over toothpaste. They are horrible things. There is pain that, that you're stuck in depression, that you cannot face your spouse, that you're trying to figure out life. I know that there's pain, but listen to me. God turns stories around. This man was lost for years, but he held on to God. Amen? For the saving of many lives. This is what the word of God says in Romans 8, 35 to 38. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is the truth. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demon, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? I know you're going through a difficult situation. I know that there's been pain. Someone is listening to me and saying, you know what, Pastanji, you don't get what happened to me. And you're right. I absolutely don't get. I don't understand. But this is what I know. God redeems and restores. This is what I know. The Bible is not a myth. It is the living, active word of God. And those things or the things that have been done to you, it may look like an abortion of God's plan, but listen, it cannot hinder God from acting. God is able to turn it around for your good. It will become the, the best plan for you. Don't let the spirit of offense keep you from your destiny. The question is, will you allow God to redeem and restore you? Will you allow God to redeem and restore what the devil stole from you? Or will you make yourself the Lord of your pain? Today, I want to challenge you to ask God to reveal the redemptive threads uh, in your pain and in your disappointment. Ask him for eyes to see the journey as he sees it. Amen? Write down whatever it is that God reveals to you. Ask him to give you an aha moment like that of Joseph where he saw it and it made him burst out crying. And he said, the devil meant it. You guys meant it for evil, but the Lord turned it for good. He will restore and redeem anything that has been compromised. But you have to trust in his timing and in his judgment and the power of his grace. I need you to remember that no human and no demon can get you out of the will of God. Amen? 
What a powerful statement. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And Robbie, will you come so that we may sing uh, that song? You took what the enemy meant for evil and you turned it for good. So I've seriously been praying for you guys. I'm praying for healing in our church. Like deep wounds. Amen? Let's sing that song. You take what the enemy meant for evil And you turn it for good You turn it for good You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Oh, victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to for someone who's in a situation but I want you to come to that place where you say Manasseh I'm willing to let that stuff go I'm willing to let it go Father I pray for that person that you would walk into their story that you would walk into their soul I thank you for the blood of Jesus that is able to cover through pain. It says that by your stripes, we are healed. I speak the blood of Jesus over your life, over your story in the name of Jesus. I, I pray that you would know that God is able to heal and restore and bring redemption to you. I cancel every lie that the devil has told you. I destroy every plan of Satan over your life and I speak complete healing over you. Father, we receive your love. We receive your love. We receive your love. I speak Manasseh over you. And Father, we, we declare that we will be fruitful. We declare that Ephraim will be the story of our lives. That we will be fruitful in this land of our affliction. That we will be fruitful in this earth that you have put us. That we will be fruitful in our business. That we will be fruitful in our relationships. That we will be fruitful in the places that you place us. It may look it may look like the devil has won, but my God, who took Joseph from prison, 
I pray that you will position us into places of victory in Jesus' name. I pray that you would open up our eyes, that we will be able to see into the days to come, that we will become prophetic in the spaces that you have placed us, that we will be able to bear fruit in the seasons that you are calling us into, that Ephraim will be our story. I'll be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I will be fruitful. This will be my narrative. I will not be defined by my pain. It will become a, a place of strength for me to speak hope and life to many in this world that are afflicted. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. 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 Let's sing it. You take what the enemy meant for evil. I speak over everybody. I speak over people who have been through such that they will be able to let it go. That they'll be able to let it go. You I take encourage and hold them in the back. You take the enemy and freedom. I want you to repeat this after me. No man or woman is the keeper of my destiny. Only God is. I want you to say, my life is a reflection of God's power to restore and reconcile. To restore and reconcile. No weapon formed against me will succeed. Because I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Father, I I really, my position is that I link myself into this covenant family. I link myself into the covenant that you made with Abraham. <laughs> that I will inherit the earth. That I will multiply. That I will bear fruit. And so my situation may not look it, but I hold on to the covenant-keeping God. A God whose word never fails. Father, come through. Rock up in our lives. I release healing over you, church of God. I release restoration over you. I release a boldness to trust God for healing. I pray for those of us who have been bitter and have held on to what was done against us by family members, people who should know better, people close to us. But this is my stance. I'm convicted by this message. And I let go and trust God. I let go and I trust God. I let go and I trust God.
no human or demon can get you out of the will of God. Only you can. I challenge you to trust God. I challenge you to hold on to his covenant. I challenge you to walk with him. In Jesus' name, I pray and all God's people say, Amen, 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 amen. Amen. God is amazing. There is healing in the house. Don't come along next, alone next Sunday. Sawa, sawa? Did you hear me? Don't come alone next Sunday. Come with someone because there is healing. Let me pray for us as we leave. Father, I thank you so much because of who you are. Thank you that this has been so sweet. <laughs> so sweet just to be in your presence. Um, and I bless your people with your power. I bless them this week to be fruitful. That they will begin to see just an acceleration of your work in their lives. And Father, our hearts are expectant for more of you. More of you. More of you. I bless the mothers and the women of this house to be mighty women of valor. That they will have courage and boldness to be helpers and midwives in the season that you have called them in. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Blessings, blessings. Have a wonderful week. See you next Sunday.